Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire, Fire production. production. Welcome, Bliss, to another episode of the Birthing Instincts Podcast. Welcome, Stu, and all of our fantastic, uh, what do we call them? Fellow travelers. Our fellow travelers. Where are you today? Everybody likes to know where you're at. They do? <laughs> um, today, yeah, they do. I, yeah, I'm in San Inez, which is halfway between um, Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo. There's a lovely midwife here. Her name is Alexis. Um, and, uh, we've been trying to get together so that I could, you know, I'm just trying to meet all of the local midwives. And, um, so she invited me to come and stay on her property and we went out to dinner and, um, she's lovely. She's got a great home office here, um, serving the community. She's, um, part native American. And I just feel like she's the perfect midwife to be serving this community. So I considered moving here. And then I found out there was already a midwife here and getting to spend time with her. I'm like, Oh, she is, this is, these are her roots. She's um, the perfect midwife to be serving this community. So it was really nice to spend some time with her. Yeah. It's a gorgeous place. If people ever saw the movie sideways, the wine country up where, where sideways took place. And it's, and there is actually a uh, hitching post place and there is actually a windmill and there's all that stuff in Buellton, which yeah. is that far away. So, yeah. Um, okay. Well, we got a lot to cover today on the podcast and it's going to be some serious stuff, but before we get to that, we've got other things, but the main theme today is um, for me is the lies and the liars who tell them. And we're going to go through a lot of stuff. Uh, we're going to try to get into a little bit about HPV and Gardasil uh, on today's podcast so uh stay with us through the whole thing because our we there's a method to our madness as we work our way down to our topic of the day um i just want to thank dr flores for being with us last week i think that yeah that was great i hope everybody enjoyed that conversation i'm just really thrilled to have another uh fellow traveler uh coming into the birth world because i think if people were smart who are going to residency and OBGYN right now, and with all the tyranny in medicine and all the misinformation, which we're gonna, I'm gonna talk about that word in a second. Um, you know, if you are a person that is a, uh, is a shepherd and not a sheep, I don't know how you can survive in today's medical world. I just don't know. Um, I have one correction from a podcast we did a little while ago um, on, the ca- on caffeine. Yes. So listener Maya from Instagram writes, Hey there, love your podcast and just listen to your most recent episode. Wanted to share with you all a little adjustment about the caffeine thing. Bliss mentioned maybe try a lighter roast of coffee at Starbucks to reduce caffeine intake. My husband works at Starbucks and it's actually the lighter the roast, the more caffeine there is, despite the lighter taste. So green coffee has the most and a dark coffee would be the least. Love you yep. guys. Hope this is helpful to you. I have but no she, idea what she's talking about because I don't drink coffee, but. she's She is right. And um, I think in that original search that we did when we were, when we were recording, I got misinformation. <laughs> so appropriate. 
Um, so I apologize for not fact checking. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, fact checking is fact checking is only done by people. It's fact checking is a oxymoron, by the way. It's sort of a they're they're not checking facts and they're not check and they're not checking checking. So they're not, they're not really doing what they're saying they're doing. Um, I had two births this week, and it's very unusual births for me. Both gravity two para uh, gravity three para twos. Mm -hmm. So both mall tips. Mm -hmm. One uh, had a precipitous labor on her living room floor before anybody got there. <laughs> Whoa, how long was it? Oh, the whole labor was about two, a little over two hours, but she missing, you know, it's her third baby. And so it's funny sometimes how you get pregnancy brain, which is a thing. But she thought she was supposed to call me when the contractions were one minute apart. Oh, no. <laughs> Instead of the four four one one or the five one one that we use for multips, she thought it oh, was, no. for some reason she thought it was one. So they went. She sent me a text at like two fifty two in the morning. She woke me up with with her little um, app picture. Not uh -huh. my not my favorite thing. Those apps, and it showed the contractions were about four minutes apart. So I called her and I or we spoke and I said, "Do you think I should come?" And she says, "No, not yet. I think we were just texting." Do you think I should come and? And she lives in a place not far from me, but there's terrible parking. So here's what I thought I'd do. I, I, I wasn't gonna go back to sleep at three o'clock in the morning anyway. So I hung up the phone around 2.58, stopped texting. I got in the shower. I got out of the shower, the phone rings. The husband says, the baby's coming. <laughs> oh, I, was no. gonna, I was gonna go drive there, find a parking place and sleep in my car. Right. I knew this was gonna happen. Yeah. Anyway, the baby came, I, I got there maybe like 14 minutes later and got the placenta and everything was fine except the floor was a mess but uh we cleaned that up and it was a beautiful birth and the, and they're extremely happy and her son was so funny her 10 year old was so funny he he comes out to you know i i got there first then he went down to get let beth in and beth tells the story better than i do but he says he says yeah and 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 then and mom was cursing and then dad was cursing and then I was cursing and everybody was cursing. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, the Welcome mucus, to the family. And the mucus flew out across the room. And it's like, yeah, he was really funny. He was just, he's so funny. And he, he's such a precocious little kid that, that it just coming out of his mouth was so funny. And he, these are the moments that make, you know, our job great. And you know, and we always say bliss that when babies come that quickly, what? Everything is good. Yeah. Everything is good. Yeah. So dad got to catch his own baby. And in the second birth, dad also got to catch his own baby, but that was planned. We were all there in the room and mom was laboring ferociously. It was her third baby um, making really loud noises. Um, the kids were up, it was only about nine o'clock in the evening. And the kids were up in the other room and one or two of them kept, they, they kept coming up periodically to check on her because the noises and we were reassuring them. And then she got on all fours on the bed. She's on the birth stool. She didn't like the birth stool that much. All fours on the bed, and like with two pushes, I was, I was um, placed where the dad was, and then our friend Alex um, guided the husband through the catching the baby. So this was the first birth I was at in a really long time where I actually didn't see the birth because I was on the other end looking You're at supporting the mama. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, and that was beautiful too. So I had two really nice, reaffirming, normal multipers, which I want to say to anyone listening and to everyone who's not listening, if you're a multip and have had a previous vaginal birth, 
you got to think about staying home for your next baby. You got to think about getting a good team there. And, and even if you want to do it unassisted, I mean, we don't endorse that here, but, but God, stay away from the hospital. Stay away. Yeah. Hey, um, I have a past client. Um, she's doing a surrogacy pregnancy right now um, in another state with another midwife. Her fourth baby was born uh, with me in my care. Um, and, you know, she reaches out every now and then because we had such a great connection. And she was telling me she had had really not so positive experiences with her previous midwives, um, people breaking her bag and like not being encouraging and, you know, just, just things that were traumatizing for her. So in our experience, I really did a lot of hands off, uh, you know, as I always do, but especially with her, like really helping empower her to like, listen to her own voice. And the last she had a delivery after me. So this is going to be her sixth delivery. And, um, I guess that one, the fifth one came in an hour. And so this midwife is saying that they want to induce her because they don't want the surrogate parents to miss the birth. So she was reaching out to me and she's like, I just don't know what to do. I feel so torn because for me, it's really traumatizing to have, you know, these interventions. Um, you know, what do you, what do you recommend? And I told her, you know, this is not about, um, it's not about us. This is about the babies coming into the world and you're the one who's hosting this baby right now. So I really encourage you to listen to like, what do you feel like is going to be the best way for this baby to come in, you know? So she's going to advocate for them to just let nature take its course and, um, you know, let the baby come when the baby wants to come. And if we miss it, you miss it. But, I, have a, you know, I have a suggestion. Sure. Have the surrogate parents rent an RV. Oh, and stay by her house? Mm -hmm. Oh. <laughs> Why not? I'll let her, I'll pass it on. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Stay, you know, if, it, if they have a yard, they can park in their driveway. If they don't, they can park on the street. And if they have to move it every day, they move it every day and they're right there. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah, why we're, not? You know, our brains are in RV mode. You, you have one. <laughs> I, I'm sort of looking potentially at at finding one for my travels this summer. So we'll, we'll talk Hi. about that later on. I want to, I want to give a shout out to um, producer and actress, Jen Pinto, who is working hard to put together a documentary, which she's calling birth control, but it's not what you think. Right. It's a play on words, obviously. It's about yes. women taking back control of birth. And I got interviewed for it. We spent about an hour and a half at my office last week uh, with her cameraman and um she interviewed me and i saw the trailer people can go to at jen pinto on instagram and i think from there you can go to her link tree and find the trailer take a look at it it's, it looks like it's going to be really good right. um, and really necessary so i wanted to uh shout out to her because i'm honored to be considered you know uh important enough to be included in that sort of documentary yeah, awesome. I can't wait. Now, speaking of documentaries, I think you and I watched something. Was it last night? I watched it last night. Yeah. You, you probably watched it before, and a lot of people have seen it already, but I watched it again. <laughs> well, tell tell our tell our listeners. 
Um, so the the follow up to the movie Vaxed, um, it's called Vaxed Two, um, and it it really um, is showing when they took this bus around the country and started interviewing um, parents and people who had been injured by vaccines, and a and a big portion of what they um, talk about in this particular movie is HPV and the Gardasil vaccine and how dangerous it is. And so you and I had talked, I can't remember why we decided to do HPV, but anyways, the topic came up in the last couple of weeks and we decided to talk about it. I didn't know, I don't remember if you had a letter or something, um, but I remember them talking about it. And so you and I watched it again separately and I couldn't even get through the whole thing again. I just, I was got so emotional listening to these moms talk about their babies passing away or their children being so injured by these vaccines. Um, it's heart wrenching, but I think that if you are considering the Gardasil vaccine, I really recommend that you watch this movie before you say yes. Um, because I think that the information is so valuable. And when you look things up on the internet, of course, good old Google, um, you, you don't see anything like that. No, I said that on purpose. I know you did. I'm still, I'm still giving it a, uh, a mom's bell because mom's bell you don't use, um, you don't use the g word on on the birthing podcast. yeah so um uh if you look it up on the internet you know you don't see anything about that and it was really interesting for me to like look it up as someone who was just like oh should i sh i want to know more about hpv and and gardasil and you know if you just did that and you just listened to what you know, the doctor is recommending, you wouldn't know about these very severe risks that are happening with these young adolescent children. Right. And we're going to talk, we're going to get into that in the last part of our podcast today. But I, I did do some uh, looking up. And, and uh, before we get to our first sponsor, I wanted to just read something because this is very relevant um, to both that uh, documentary, Vax 2, as well as to pretty much everybody who's breathing air in the world right now. And as far as, um, and, and kids and vaccines. And the more, the, the deeper dive that you and I look into this and people like um, Alex Berenson or even Candace Owens with her special are looking into this, the more that, the more you can see this whole thing is a, is a dangerous fraud. Um, perpetrated on people. And the healthiest people in the world are the people that are unvaccinated, at least in, in first world countries. And there was a report that came out in Toxico Toxicology Reports, which is a fairly reputable journal. And it was, it was supported by the NIH, which is surprising because it's, it, the author is a guy named Neil, Neil Miller. And he writes, it's about vaccines and sudden infant death. An analysis of the VAERS database from 1990 to 2019 and a review of the medical literature. And I just want to read some highlights here because it's stunning and jaw-dropping. Although there is considerable evidence that a subset of infants has an increased risk of sudden death after receiving vaccines, health authorities eliminated, quote, prophylactic vaccination, unquote, as an official cause of death. So medical examiners are compelled to misclassify and conceal vaccine-related fatalities under alternate cause of death classifications. That's the opening line of this paper. In this paper, VAERS database was analyzed 
2,605 infant deaths reported to VAERS from 1990 through 2019. So what's that 30 year period? 58% clustered within three days post-vaccine and 78.3% clustered within seven days post-vaccine. The, the excess of deaths during these early post-vaccination periods was statistically significant with a p-value, get this bliss, of 0.00001, okay? That's about as highly statistically significant, speaking in statistical goobly glob language yeah. um, that you can possibly get. He goes on to say, in, there are 130 official ways for an infant to die, according to the WHO and the Center for Disease Control, all right? And it's published in the International Classification of Diseases or the ICD, coding, okay? Who does the coding, by the way? The doctor. The, well, who writes the code? Who, who comes up? Who's, who's got so Oh, insurance companies, insurance companies. Insurance companies, they follow them, but who, we, we did a podcast on this. I did it by myself. The American Medical Association is responsible for the coding, okay? Mm -hmm. When a baby dies, quarters must choose from these 130 categories, right? The official cause of death listed in the ICD includes nearly every imaginable and tragic possibility. In fact, previous versions of the ICD listed prophylactic inoculation and vaccination as a separate cause of death category with subcategories for deaths by caused by specific vaccines. However, when the ICD was revised in 1979 and in all subsequent updates, all cause of death classifications associated with vaccination were eliminated. As if you don't need another reason to not trust the government, stop believing anything they say, anything. Don't decide to cherry pick something and say, well, I'm gonna believe this and not believe that. If people aren't telling you the truth consistently, then don't believe anything they say because they have no credibility, okay? Um, to, to me, removing this sort of thing, um, since then, medical certifiers have been unable to list vaccination as an official cause of death because the ICD coding no longer contains the code for that possibility. This is odd, this is odd, he says that. These, these guys have an, uh, a knack for understatement, okay? <laughs> this is odd. Um, because health authorities are aware that some children will per become permanently disabled or die after receiving vaccines, the very reason Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Compensation Act of 1986. So they admit that vaccines can cause death and injury and they even pay out money for that, but they don't give you a code to use it as the cause of death, All right? Kind of reminds me sort of what, what's happening with birth certificates now and that like mothers no longer give birth because you know states have removed that as a choice on the birth certificate, All right? Now it's, you know, it's parent giving birth that sort of thing. Right. Many parents don't realize that when they purchase vaccines, the cost is taxed and the money goes to a trust fund managed by the Department of the Treasury to compensate them if and when those vaccines seriously or injure or kill their babies. $250,000. Is the max. Yeah, like that could ever, ever, ever touch <laughs> replacing your child. Like just... That's for a, for a dead child. I think for an injured child, you might get more, right? Uh, you know, it's, it, I don't, we don't need to even dissect that. The whole point being is that it's like, 
is if we, if we remove the, the option of this as being a diagnosis, then we can't be, we can't be tracked. We're not looking, we don't wanna know. The CDC and the NIH do not wanna know how many babies are being killed by vaccination. Vaccination that over time has been proven to be less and less useful, effective, uh, sometimes actually has negative efficacy, doesn't do the same as natural immunity. Everyone knows that, yet they still argued in the COVID thing that natural immunity, well, it wasn't proven and blah, blah, blah. You know what? You don't need a study as we say all the time on the podcast, you do not need to study to prove the obvious. Leanna Wen, my, one of my favorite, uh, not, by, me, by favorite, I mean not favorite, uh, pundits on CNN came out finally and said that a study has shown that, that um, closures of schools has been bad for kids. Do you or anyone, does anyone listening believe we needed a study to prove that? <laughs> but Leanna Wen did. Okay, Leanna Wen needed to study to prove that. Yeah. Because without a study, you can't say anything. That's just false. Prior to the, and here's a little bit more, one more thing. Prior to the induction, excuse me, introduction of organized vaccination programs, crib death was so rare that it was not mentioned in infant mortality statistics. In the United States, natural immunization campaigns were expanded in the 1960s. Most infants then began to receive several doses of DPT, polio, and measles vaccine. By 1969, an alarming epidemic of sudden unexplained infant deaths impelled researchers to create a new medical term, sudden infant death syndrome. So that was created in 1969, that diagnosis. Prior to that, they'd never really heard of it. And prior to that, there was never any massive vaccination programs. Um, Throughout the 1980s, sudden infant deaths continued to skyrocket. Parental concerns about an apparent link between childhood vaccines and SIDS reached a fever pitch. Many parents were afraid to vaccinate their babies. And we can't have that, can we? No. Thank you. <laughs> I'm waiting for your no. <laughs> so, enter the American Academy of Pediatrics. In 1992, the American Academy of Pediatrics, or the AAP, came up with a plan to reduce the unacceptable SIDS rate by reassuring concerned mothers and fathers that sudden explained infant deaths were not related to the vaccines. Wow, this must be great, they, they're brilliant. They, came, they initiated a back to sleep campaign telling parents to place their infants supine rather than prone during sleep. And from 1992 to 2001, post neonatal SIDS Post-neonatal, by the way, means from 28 days of life to one year. Uh, decline an average annual rate of 8.6%. Wow, so just rolling babies onto their um, stomachs, not off of their stomachs, onto their backs, lower the rate. Pediatricians are brilliant. Thank you, AAP. But, there's always a but, this is trickery. With closer inspection, of the ICD, the 130 official ways to die for an infant to die revealed a loophole. Medical certifiers such as coroners could choose from among several categories of death when a baby suddenly expired. They didn't have to list the deaths as SIDS, although the post-neonatal SIDS rate dropped by an average of 8.6% during that time period, the post-neonatal mortality rate from suffocation in bed increased during the same period at an average of 11.2%. So you drop the SIDS rate by 8.6%, but you increase the suffocation in bed rate by 11.2%. Is that a tomato or a tomato? 
<laughs> Too many babies dying, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, well, it's purposeful deception to support a product that they knew was problematic. They had to know it was problematic, which is why they came up with the shenanigans to do it in the first place. And you're going to trust these people? You can't trust these people. Don't trust anything that they tell you. In Australia, a similar subterfuge seemed to occur. Researchers observed that when SIDS rates decrease, deaths attributed to asphyxia increased. All right. The AP back to sleep campaign was a fraud and a cover-up that continues to today. True. All right. That's some heavy stuff. So before we get into some more heavy stuff, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about one of our sponsors, Element. Okay. So Elements, Element, uh, it's spelled L-M-N-T. They're a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. As Bliss likes to say. None of the BS. None of the BS. Woo -woo. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks on special diets, but also, you know, people are exercising, people pregnant, uh, just it's, it's much healthier than drinking the stuff that Dr. Stu drinks. <laughs> Diet Coke, yes. Diet Coke. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I know, uh, tell them all about your favorites, Bliss. Oh, um, well, you know, if you're if you're wanting to avoid sugar, it's so hard. There, it seems like everything has sugar in it these days. So I really enjoyed trying this out before they even became one of our sponsors. And my favorite is the mango chili. So tasty. Yeah, so we have, they have a multitude of flavors. And right now, if you go to their website, which is at drink element, that's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com and use the code birthing instincts or bash last birthing instincts, you'll get a free sample pack for only the cost of shipping for $5. So give it, out. give it a shot, especially for our pregnant uh, listeners. If you want to have it for, for your, the days when you're laboring or the days, excuse me, the hours when you're laboring. Sorry, that was- Three days, could be days. Could be days. Um, give it a try. They're one of our sponsors. They help us make the podcast possible. So we hope you'll support them. Thank you, Element. Thank you, Element. <laughs> okay, so today we, again, I said we have so much stuff about lying and uh, about those lying and, and who's doing it. Um, I wanna just briefly say the word misinformation is being used everywhere these days. This is a typical classical misuse of language in order to deceive. Because I would say this, that it's, it's basically, it's code for actual truths that they don't like. So they call it misinformation. If, if, if information is, giving, is being given out purposely and it's known to be false, we already have a word for that. Lies. Well, yeah, it's a lie. <laughs> so why would they need to change the word to, from lie to misinformation? Because it's not untrue. It's kind of like they changed the word practitioner to provider. Because they want to, they want to deceive you. So it's just another misuse of language. If it's not true, call it a lie. If it's true, stop calling it misinformation. All right, you can admit, hey, I don't like this information, but it's not misinformation. Okay, so, but the US, and to make these matters worse, just this past week, the US Surgeon General has asked big tech to censor COVID misinformation. Of course. So if we now know the new definition of misinformation is truth that they don't like, the Surgeon General is asking big tech to censor truth they don't like, which 
you and I have known all along and most of our listeners. See, problem is we, that's why we call you guys fellow travelers when you're listening, because we know that you agree with us and people who don't agree with us would probably have turned this off by now because it makes them too uncomfortable to look at. But this is scary because big tech, big government, big media are, are, are laying siege to the truth. We can't let them do that anymore. If, if you're under siege in medieval times, you know, you either need to break out and attack or you need someone to come in and rescue you. And I don't think that that's going to be coming. I don't think the uh, cavalry is going to be coming over the hill anytime nope. soon to rescue us. No, nope. so we need to stop. Stop. And we need to say no more. You've been lying to us and lying to us and lying to us. You've been lying to us since the 1960s on, on vaccines. And you're lying to us about just about everything right now. Stop believing them. When they come out with a new lie, stop believing them. Anything you watch on the mainstream news, it's false. It might be true, like a broken clock, being right twice a day. As one of my mentors says, you know, if they're talking about an earthquake in Peru, maybe they got it right. But pretty much everything else they got wrong. Right? Ah, all right. Um, most everything we are being told is counterfactual. Counterfactual is a good term because it means opposite or counter to the facts. And that's what you're being told. And, and, and like I said earlier, they, they need studies to prove the obvious. I mentioned Leanna Wen earlier, but here's an interesting thing. I was listening to the High Wire this past week and, and Del Bigtree's show, the current one that's out right now is called Who Killed Ivermectin? Right. And what happened with ivermectin and what happened with hydroxychloroquine, one of the excuses they used for not letting people use it was Fauci and others were saying there was no randomized double blinded controlled studies. Now, you're, this is a medicine that's been used safely for 70 years, hydroxychloroquine. And there were some studies coming out that were really good. And you don't have time to do randomized double blinded controlled studies in the midst of a pandemic. But for Which them, they didn't do for the vaccine either. Yep, that's why you're the best co-host in the business. <laughs> because it's exactly where I'm going. Mm -hmm. They chose to use the randomized double-blinded argument against hydroxychloroquine, but they ignored it completely when it came to the vaccine. So you can't authorize one, but you must authorize the other. What's the only variable that's different? One is valuable in the money-making area and one doesn't make you any money. Yeah. Exactly. There can be no other explanation. None. So if anybody's trying to give you one or sticking to the old narrative, kindly pat them on the back, say, you know, you may be right. Here's some, here's some swamp land in Florida. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So I went to my dentist. I think, okay. I think the I think the point uh I mean you might be making another point, but what I'm hearing when I kind of like am taking a step back and listening to it all is, um, you know, the same thing that we, maybe your parents didn't tell you, but my parents told me is to question authority and to, you know, just don't take things blindly, but to actually take a pause and to really listen to your own instincts about what might be going on. And for me, has been with my children for a very long time when I had to make the decisions about vaccines is, 
you know, is to really weigh out like what are the benefits and potentially the risks and um, keep it simple, you know, like keep, keep things as simple as possible and as close to nature as possible because nature definitely has a, a, a wisdom to it. And there's just so many variables and so many questions when you're talking about injecting a foreign substance into your body. Um, and sometimes we need to, you know, like I'm not a big person to do, to do antibiotics. I have a lot of reasons to pause on giving antibiotics to myself and my children. And then, you know, there are times when you have an infection and you've tried all the natural things and it's prudent to use uh, modern medicine. But, um, it, I think that what you're, what you're talking about with the lies and not trusting government ever is to really like take a moment to, to, to pause and to do your own research and to do your own instinctual um, deep dive. And, and that is a legitimate way to make decisions for your family is your, is your instincts. And, and in that movie that the Vax too, there are those moms that tell these stories of like, there was something in my head that screamed and said, no, don't do this. And they had never had reason to pause and, and be concerned before, but something inside of them was like, this just doesn't feel right. And I really encourage um, moms and dads and whomever, if you hear that, you know, it's legitimate. You can listen to your own instincts. It's a really important thing to do. And there's a lot of good data supporting that point of view. Um, Interestingly enough, Bliss, when you said um, question authority, isn't it interesting that in the 60s and 70s, one of the slogans besides question authority was never trust anyone over 30? I didn't know that because I wasn't around then. Yeah, it was, a, it was a going around in the 60s, never trust anyone over 30. All these people that grew up in the 60s are now, you know, now they're 70, 80 years old and they want us to trust them. So it's really interesting, again, Hypocrisy is just not a big enough word. Uh, my, in my dentist's office last week, uh, maybe it's, hopefully that'll be going soon. There was a sign that said, masks off soon, says CDC. <laughs> so in other words, CDC is going to allow you to take your masks off soon in the dentist's office. Stop listening to them. If you want to wear a mask in your dentist's office because you're being courteous to them, that's fine. But it's time to take the masks off in the grocery store. It's time to take the masks off it, at the rock concert or whatever else, it's time. It really is. Um, now, I don't know if this a sign is real or not. This was from Instagram. Wait, before you move on, talking about the 60s, I've been, I, I haven't worn a mask in uh, a couple of weeks because up here you don't have to really anymore. A lot of people still are, but you know, remember in the 60s when the women wanted to burn their bras? <laughs> I want to do a mask burning ceremony. Doesn't that sound fun? Yes. You know, I thought, you know what, it's, it's, uh, you and I, again, I thought about that. Why hasn't there been like a, like a, a demonstration where the people are gathered, like, you know, for a peaceful protest, like the, the freedom truckers or the, or one of the, of the rallies that they're having for in Florida or, or Texas and, and have like a little, uh, you know, a safe with a fire department standing right there and a big uh, metal bin and everybody walk up and just ceremoniously drop their masks in there and burn them off, burn them. Because otherwise they're gonna end up in some turtle someplace. And we really don't want that to happen. In some turtle, is that what yeah. you said? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, according to the people here in California that, you know, that's what you have waste products that end up washed into the sea and then the, some turtles are choking on them, okay? Yeah, yeah. Not baby turtles, 
because baby turtles aren't yet breathing. Only born turtles. Baby turtles are still in an egg, so they, they, they can't choke on it. When they come out of the egg, though, they can start choking them. We learned so many things here on the podcast. So this was a sign that is a warning to all parents. It's a subtle sign. I don't. I, I think it's real. It's hard to know anymore. Anything that's posted is real. But this was from Virginia, a high school in Virginia, and it says student athletes. Sports physicals are done primarily to make sure you are not at high risk for sudden cardiac death on the playing field. By the way, have you ever seen a sign like this before in a, in a high school? No. COVID vaccination affects your risk. In response to worldwide experience and vaccine adverse event monitoring, we are adopting a more precautionary sports physical sign-off policy. If you have received doses of any COVID shot, we will not be able to clear you to compete in sports without performing lab work and possibly an echocardiogram to find out potential heart damage. Wow. But it's safe and effective. Wow. Safe and effective. Okay, I have a letter from um, Reader Page. And it's going to lead me into one more thing before we get to our next break, and then we'll get into HPV. Uh, hello, Dr. Stu and Bliss. I wrote to Dr. Stu in 2020 about my firstborn baby where I had a retained placenta and a hemorrhage. Dr. Stu was helpful and sent me back an email breaking down the statistics of hemorrhaging and recurrence. It was good to know, and I helped me to process the situation. Jumping forward to 2022, I gave birth to our second baby with no issues at all. Shocking. We chose to stick with our midwife that delivered our first at the birth center. Zero regrets on continuing to work with our midwife versus going to an OB and a hospital setting, which was what our families had hoped we would do. Our baby girl was born 3.30 a.m. in the water. Why, always, why is it always 3.30 in the morning? In the water. The placenta was out 30 minutes later. It was greeted with a lot of joy and relief. This email is mostly to say thank you for all that the two of you do. I was happy to hear Bliss is back to delivering babies. Moms need as many positive alternative options for birth as we can get. Thank to you. Any, to any mom who is feeling pressured to go into the hospital for any reason, I recommend calling a midwife first. I had a very good reason to change my care model to a OB eternally. Gratefully, we did not. Blessings from Wyoming. Paige. Love it. Thanks, Paige. And just a little correction on the language. I don't deliver babies anymore because I'm in menopause. Um, <laughs> but I do, <laughs> I do, um, support and help other women, um, deliver their babies. So catch, I catch babies sometimes. That is so, so true. <laughs> right. And good for you. Good for you for catching that. We're trying, you know, language, as we said earlier, language is being uh, used for deception. We want to try to correct that. We don't want to partake in that. Um, so just recently I've gotten a lot of messages from Instagram or questions on, uh, from emails from people. On, and it goes in, in concert with Paige's letter about her doctor. She had a postpartum hemorrhage with her first baby and her doctor probably scared the bejeebers out of her regarding her second pregnancy. And so we, we get the same sort of thing with things like aging placenta, fibroids. Um, if you don't have your V back by 40 weeks, we have to schedule your C-section. Uh, Oh, your first baby, you had a shoulder dystocia. You must have a cesarean section with your second shoulder dystocia. This is not misinformation, people. This is? Lies. Lies. 
okay? Well, they don't know. They don't have a crystal ball. It's like what I try and tell people all the time when we get these, like, this could happen. No one has a crystal ball. No one knows exactly what's going to happen. You know, it's just a statistic and an average and assumptions that people have. And it's a desire to control the outcome. So um, if that's something that doesn't, again, doesn't resonate with you, um, you just have to know no one knows the future and you have to move forward with what feels most comfortable for you. Right. They're all they're immediately going to the worst case scenario with all of those. And without any data, without any statistics, they don't, they probably don't even know the, the, the natural history of a grade three placenta. They have no idea. Most of them don't know about fibers. I just recently saw a woman who has a big cervical fibroid. And in about 18 weeks, she was seen um, for a severe rectal pain. And she'd had an evaluation. And I don't know whether they even noticed the fibroid because she said she didn't, no one told her until her 20 week scan or 21 week scan. But at 18 weeks, they missed, they either missed it, but it never occurred to them that this pain that she was having could be a degenerating fibroid. Mm -hmm. And if it was a degenerating fibroid, they probably don't know that that really doesn't carry any risk for preterm labor or anything like that. They, they don't know anything. Oh, sorry. Um, also for my, my, my friends around the country and around the world, you know, generally as California goes, so goes the rest of the world. Coming to a theater near you is what's going on in California. I just want to rattle off some bills that are before the California Assembly right now so that you can pull your hair out. Okay, SB 871 would require all children zero to 17 to get the COVID-19 vaccine to attend childcare or school. SB 866 would allow kids 12 to 17 to get the COVID vaccine without parental consent. SB, this is why I'm looking elsewhere. SB 1749 would require schools to continue testing and to create testing plans. And that's not testing for how well you do in social studies, by the way. <laughs> Testing for COVID, right? Yes. SB 1018 would require online platforms to be more transparent about how information is pushed out to consumers. Don't even know what that means, but I'm sure it's nefarious. <laughs> SB 1464 would force law enforcement officials to enforce public health orders. So in other words, when a sheriff doesn't want to enforce a mass mandate or a closure, now the sheriff could then probably get into legal trouble. AB 1993 would require all employees, including independent contractors, to show proof of COVID-19 vaccine to work in California. AB 1797 would make changes to the California Immunization Record Database. I'm not sure what that means, but it can't be good. And then, of course, the, uh, the mother of all bills this year, AB 2098, would, classify, would reclassify the sharing of COVID-19 misinformation by doctors and surgeons as unprofessional conduct that will result in disciplinary action. Thank you, California. I have nothing else I can say about that. I'm gonna skip that. I'm gonna skip this because for time. And speaking of time, Bliss, it's my favorite time of the entire podcast. You know what time it is. Do you know what we're gonna talk about right now? Bamboobies. Correct. We are gonna talk about bamboobies. I just like saying bamboobies. Let's say bamboobies three times. Bamboobies, bamboobies, bamboobies. Bamboobies. Tell us what bamboobies is for you, Bliss. 
And Boobies is a great company that is um, committed to the comfort and of mom and baby and um, have a lot of great eco-conscious products to support that. Teas and salves and my favorite, their heart-shaped um, bamboo breast pads. Um, and they have even a clothing line with some great nursing teas. Yeah, so go to their website and, and check out their uh, online store. And you can find them at bamboobies.com, B-A-M-B-O-O-B-I-E-S.com. If you use the code INSTINCT, you get 25% off your purchase. So we love bamboobies. Not only do we like saying bamboobies, they still haven't come out with an organic beer. But nonetheless, <laughs> okay, we forgive them. <laughs> <laughs> we forgive them. But again, we want to appreciate the fact that they make our podcast possible. So if you guys will use the code instincts when you go to bamboobies.com, we get little kudos for that. So And it supports the podcast in continuing. So thank you so much. Thanks, bamboobies. Thank you. Okay. HPV, 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 HPV. Okay. Um, did you know, Bliss? Well, first of all, do you know anything about HPV? Oh, well, I know a little bit about HPV. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's the again. These facts mm -hmm. are not are hard to know whether they're true or not true because guess where most of the facts you go to if you search this? It takes you to where? It takes you to the CDC website. So I just wanted to read a couple things from the CDC website on HPV. It's the most common sexually transmitted infection. Right? That may be true. Okay, at least in, in, in certain countries. I don't know all around the world, but certain countries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in the very first paragraph about HPV, what's the, what's the sentence? It says, um, but there are vaccines that can stop these health problems from happening. So they're talking about HPV under what is HPV and it's, in the what is HPV category, they're talking about vaccines. They're not talking about how you treat HPV. They're just talking about what HPV, definition of HPV, they still stick the vaccine line in the very first paragraph. But there's a lot of different strains of HPV, yes? Yes, and there, there are. Yeah. And some are supposedly associated with malignancy. Some are associated with genital warts. 90% right. plus of women who catch HPV, men too, I guess, um, we'll clear it on their own. Um, on rare cases, it will persist. And then those persist. That's where the genius of the pap screening test came into play. Because pap test is really a brilliant um, screening test. A screening test is, has high sensitivity, low specificity. All right. Uh, sensitivity is a test that's positive when something is wrong. Uh, sensitivity is. Specificity is a test that's negative when nothing is wrong. The classic example of a specific, a sensitive test is the metal detector at the airport. Highly sensitive, lousy specificity. Handguns, belt buckles, watches, all that stuff still goes off. So what do you do when you have a sensitive test that's positive? You go to a more specific test, like a pat down or whatever they use. Now they've got that other machine where you raise your hands and it scans you and it's a little bit more specific. Pap smears are great screening tests because they cost almost nothing. Um, and they're, but they're overused and they recommend, of course, the CDC recommends annual screening for women aged, uh, let's see, what was it? 21 to 65. Um, I don't believe that any woman who's not been sexually active needs a pap smear. So you only start needing pap smears once you become sexually active. 
And once you're in a monogamous relationship, you've had normal paps for a few years. Um, the idea of getting one every year is overkill. Yeah, right? I thought and, they changed the recommendation to every three years. Well, I'm hoping that they did. I mean, the American College of OBGYN is always slow to do things, but I actually think they did in low-risk people, which are people who don't have a history of previous infection, don't have high-risk behavior, and are in monogamous or, or are celibate, not having sex. Those people can probably space it out. But a lot of doctors don't tell their clients that because why? They want to see them every year because of the financial aspect. Right. It's kind of like, why do people, why do people take their well children to pediatricians? They're well, why are they going to the pediatrician? Right. If you're worried. Vaccines. Well, vaccines. And that's the only reason really that, and again, I, I'm speaking in hyperbolic, hyperbolic terms. I understand that. But sometimes you need hyperbolic terms to counter all the fraudulent stuff that's out there. And I think people who listen to me know that that's what I'm saying. But um, so I don't believe that you need routine screening if you are you know, in, engaging in either low risk behavior or no risk behavior. And certainly when you're over 35 or 40, if you've been married, you've had your kids, you're with a single partner, um, getting an annual pap smear is really unnecessary. Um, if you want to do it, that's fine. But to be told that it's necessary is not misinformation. It is a lie. Yes, it's a lie. Okay. So, you know, in our model of care, the midwifery model of care, we individualize our, our, our recommendations. Yeah. The medical model, everyone's placed into an algorithm and you, everybody gets everything. That's why you give all babies hepatitis vaccine when they're born, even if their parents have no risk. Right. So it says here, how can I avoid HPV and the health problems it can cause? And here's one of my favorite lines. We've heard it over and over again in the pandemic. Get vaccinated. The HPV vaccine is safe and effective. <laughs> okay. Watch the movie Vaxxed or look into, look into this book, which is called the HPV vaccine on trial. I've just got a few things I want to, I want to highlight from the book. Um, the first thing is HPV vaccines have never been proven to prevent cervical or other cancer. So they make these claims on advertisements, beautiful advertisements. Um, let's see, we have a beautiful advertisement. I mean, you can't see it, but I can see it here in the book. It says, if there were a vaccine against cancer, wouldn't you get it for your kids? HPV vaccine is cancer prevention. What did I just read? never been proven. HPV vaccines have never been proven to prevent cervical or any other cancer. They were allowed to use precancerous lesions as surrogate endpoints in the clinical trials. Scientists do not know if decline in cases of precancerous lesions will translate into fewer cases of cervical cancer in 20 to 30 years. Okay, so they don't know, but yet they put out advertisements. HPV vaccine can prevent an estimated 28,500 new cancers per year. That's right. But what does that mean? It can prevent an estimated, so that's essentially, they have, but they have no proof that it does that. All right. Save the planet, get an HPV vaccine. I, I you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. This is classing. This is a classic example. It's been around now. The HPV vaccine is around for 16 years. It's a classic example of promotion and propaganda without evidence 
or risk assessment. And there's a non-binding promise of cancer prevention that you're gonna take this vaccine that it might prevent cancer that you might get in 30 years. Okay. These are the same people that have, we've gone through the podcast and all this other stuff that's in the world right now. We've talked about it. Why would you trust them? What reason have they given for you to trust them? Bliss of silence, so what, bliss of silence is, is perfect. <laughs> so what is your, what is your recommendation if uh, someone gets a pap smear and finds out that they currently have HPV? Well, first of all, all pap smears nowadays, when it has HPV, they're going to type it generally, mm -hmm. right? And if it's one of the low risk types, then the usual thing is to repeat it in six months to a year, mm -hmm. just to be sure that it's not progressing. And even if it came back, comes back as mild dysplasia, even with HPV uh, type 16, 18, or, or 16, 18, the, the ones that potentially are related to cancers, and there's more than just those four, but um, you can offer them a colposcopy, which is more, again, gets more into the specific testing and a biopsy, or you can say, there's a good chance that this is going to reveal it, uh, repeat, uh, heal itself in the next six months. So come back in six months and we'll repeat the pap or we'll do a colposcopy or something like that. Um, the downside of waiting is almost zero because going from HPV infection of your cervix to invasive cervical cancer is going to take almost always between five to 10 or more years. So if you have mild dysplasia on a pap smear or on a biopsy, and then someone's recommending that you have a leap procedure or you have some other surgical procedure, you can basically say, you know what, I think I'd rather wait six months, a year and have it and be retested because the, as it says, about 90% of people will probably resolve it on their own with healthy lifestyle and supplements and all the things that I'm not an expert in, but people talk about taking you know, the antioxidant stuff, the herbs, the homeopathy, the glutathione, the, um, um, oh, I can't remember the, the other ones, but there's a whole bunch of things that you can take uh, to help, to help heal yourself. So um, anyway, so you don't need to have to jump on it right away. Now, if it bothers you that it's there and you want to jump on it right away, and you've done this with informed consent and you want to have it removed with a leap procedure, Fine, you can do that. But it's not going to progress really rapidly, except in really rare, odd cases. They're really odd. And those things are not easily, they're not, they're not predictable, kind of like who's going to get late onset vitamin K dependent bleeding. It's not something that you can predict. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily um, progress faster than the six months. Is that what you're saying? It's almost impossible to prevent, progress faster than in, in six months. You know, even if you have some sort of autoimmune in, uh, deficiency, which a lot, which makes may make it grow faster. Cervical cancer is not like endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, or breast cancer. It's not estrogen dependent. It's a it's a squamous cell cancer. It's it's a different kind of cancer, and it is thought to be caused by HPV. Although you know what, in my lifetime, we might find out that that was a bunch of fraud too. I don't I, I don't know. Again, my my gutometer tells me that that's true. Just like you were talking about earlier. <laughs> Gutometer, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, but the 
the downside to this vaccine, um, which we we talked about earlier in the podcast a little bit, watching on vaxxed, is that these young um, adolescents are getting this vaccine and having very, very severe reactions, um, intense pain, um, being paralyzed, um, having to have like the one girl was talking about her, um, her stomach was completely paralyzed and she had to be fed through a G tube for the rest of her life. That girl was like, what, 18 years old or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, they're all young. All these people are young because that's, yeah. that's who's getting it from 12. To, yeah. It's approved. And it, it was approved in 2000, I think uh, six for girls in 2011 for um, boys. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the worst injuries, by the way, that we saw in that thing, a lot of them are boys. Yeah. Um, so death, suicide, um, you know, from from the adverse reactions. So this is not, these are not little things. This is not like a, an allergic reaction or, you know, having having something temporary happen to them. This is something that is changing, altering their lives forever. Um, so it's a very, very serious adverse reactions that should be considered and should, you know, if you're making a decision about whether or not to, you know, potentially pre- prevent um, this being transmitted sexually and causing cancer in a very, very small percentage of people is what you're talking about. Like the counseling should also include these very serious adverse reactions, because I personally, if I was given that information, as I said, if you look it up, you're not going to see this information. If I was given that information, I don't believe that I would take that risk with my child. Well, I bliss a couple things. First of all, um, there's no evidence that I can find that says that giving the HP vaccine prevents transmission. Okay. Uh-huh. Why, why are we giving it to boys? Yeah. What's the incidence of penile squamous cell cancer that isn't something that you can actually, cervical cancer is inside the woman's body. It needs to be screened. Guy has something wrong with his penis. I'm t- <laughs> He's going to see somebody right away. Okay. <laughs> because guys and their penises are very uh, attached. Okay. Yeah, they're attached. And we know what our penises look like. And when they start to look something funny about them, um, that's not something we're happy about. So, you know, if, if it's to prevent, you know, warts, well, warts are something that you can treat, all right? And, and so, so we're giving this vaccine to boys for one reason and one reason only, in my opinion. And that's the question is who should get the HPV vaccine? And that is every living person. <laughs> that's what I wrote. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a very scary thing when you think about the fact that we're giving these vaccines to these, these kids with no evidence that they work and plenty of evidence that it doesn't work. And somebody said something, um, I think it was on the, on the documentary, Bliss, and it just resonated with me and I wrote it down. You never meet a parent who regrets not vaccinating their child. You only meet parents that regret vaccinating their child. I haven't met one yet. Right. Yeah. And then we always say in medicine, you know, you and I always say nothing is always or never. 
Nothing is 100%. Well, here's a 100% one. If you don't vax your kid, there's 100% certainty of them not having a vaccine injury. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I like that little saying. I think it's a good little saying. So um, again, the CDC thinks you should, uh, everyone should get this. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I uh, would disagree. I think it's a it's a stupid it's one of the stupidest vaccines out there. The one Dangerous. of the experts, one of the experts in the in the in the documentary said it's probably the worst vaccine ever created. Um, because one, we don't know that it actually does any good. It's been promoted throughout the world before they had any real data on it. They never really did any double-blinded, randomized controlled trials on it. Okay, they always compare vaccines not to a placebo, not to a saline injection. They compare it to uh, other injections that have toxins in them, like aluminum, that sort of thing. So they get a reaction in both and they go, see, it's no different. It's That's such sleight of hand that it's, it should be obvious. You know, it's like in my cousin Vinny where uh, <laughs> he's, he's just, uh, Vinny's catch, he talks about how he's, Vinny's catching the magician, you know, he's just, there's a mirror under there, he's doing this and this, and he's pointing things out all the time that, that, that it's sleight of hand. This is so obviously sleight of hand. You can't unsee this. We talk about it on the podcast all the time. Once you see this sort of stuff, you cannot see it. They've been lying to you and lying to you and lying to you. Why would you suddenly believe them now? Why, why did my family members, why did so many people I know think that this vaccine was the only way out and that it was going to be safe? You know, they hated Trump and Trump promoted the vaccine and they took it anyway. And then they hated, you know, and then they love Biden. Biden promoted the vaccine and it's not working and it's causing all the problems and, they're, and they still love Biden. So it's, it's like there's no rational thinking going on right now. It's just a mess and it has to stop. We're under siege. There's so many things happening. Inflation, the war in, uh, in uh, Ukraine, the border, uh, the energy crisis, the financial issues with your, and all that stuff. This is all happening at once and it seems overwhelming, but it really isn't. As you said, Bliss, you need to figure out what's important and just simplify. You need to simplify. Right. Okay, so I have, a, I have a little bit more stuff on that. Um, from the FDA, um, they quote, they say, based on a review of the available information by the FDA and the CDC, Gardasil continues to be safe and effective, and its benefits continue to outweigh its risks. How do they know? I guarantee you, if you ask those moms and those parents, if if they out, if it outweighs the risks, I guarantee you they're going to emphatically disagree with that lie. Yeah, and according and again, if you look in, you get into the book that I talked about, the HPV vaccine on trial. People can yeah. find it on Amazon. They say that you know they come up with a word for placebo, you know, fake placebo trial. They call it a falsebo, F A U X C E B O. All right, and that's where you're comparing. The, vac the toxins in the vaccine to toxins without the, without the vaccine. And toxins are the things that people react to initially. And there's no long-term studies. Um, yeah, the, the book itself and the, and the documentary take a deep dive. Now, listen, HPV is a sexually transmitted disease. It can cause problems. Um, it's why people should be careful about who their sex partners are. 
possibly get screened, wear a condom, um, these sorts of things. But it, it, it's not the scary boogeyman that people make it out to be. And that's what's used in order to influence people to get their kids from age 12 onward to get this vaccine. And this isn't one vaccine, by the way, it's three. Yeah, I think I read that they've reduced it to two now. Oh, why? Yeah, I assume that it's because when the people got the third dose is when they had the most severe reactions, which is good. At least, you know, they're trying to. Well, doesn't it tell you that they better. didn't know what they were doing when they started? Shouldn't they have known Probably. where they gave it to like 120 million children around the world? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. All right. So, um, by the way, if you did give it to your kids, uh, we talked earlier and I couldn't remember some of the things, but I, I, I was reading a little bit. You want to give them choline, glutathione. Uh, you want to stop doing things like, um, uh, well, stop vaccinating your kids. If you have to take them out of school, if you have to move out of California, fine. But if you look at the data and not just the, the anecdotes in the Vax2 documentary, but in Paul Thomas's paper and other papers, the healthiest kids in the world are the unvaccinated kids. By any measure, they're healthier. So stop it. I mean, if, you, if you're having a kid now, if you're listening, if you're pregnant and you're listening to the podcast, really reevaluate. If you have a pediatrician that's so gung-ho on vaccines, confront them. I mean, in a, in a polite way, ask them for data on the safety of these things. They won't have it. And if you feel uncomfortable there, then then leave. Yeah, read the inserts um, and find, again, I've, I say this pretty much on every podcast now, find your tribe, find your like-minded people. They're going to have resources for you of other people, other doctors, other um, like-minded individuals who can guide you to um to, to follow your instincts and to do something a little bit different than what the mainstream is telling you. You're not wrong. Um, and there are other people out there who feel the same way that you do. And um, so, you know, keep looking for your tribe. They're out there. Yeah. And vaccines, again, should not be universal. If some people read the practice insert or have certain risk factors and they want to take a vaccine, that's absolutely fine. But then they've done it on an informed consent model. And, exactly. you know, everything that we discussed today, Bliss, to sum up, is very similar to what we've been talking about in our profession for a long time. Um, almost everything in the medical model, the model is antithetical to nature's design. If you learn how vaccines work and you look at the difference, like they explained in the, in the documentary about natural measles versus um, vaccine immunity from, uh, to measles and how one is lifelong and how the other one actually puts you more at risk and puts your family more at risk because it wears off and it doesn't transmit to the baby, your future babies as, as well as when you've had measles, uh, that sort of thing. Um, all you have to do is look at nature. Zach Bush does a lot of good stuff on this. Uh, there's a lot of people out there. I mean, Del Victory always dives into it. Uh, Paul Thomas's uh, Against the Wind podcast are, is another good podcast to look into these sorts of things. Um, Kennedy. Yeah, I don't think Robert. he has a podcast though, but yeah, but Robert Kennedy. Yeah books and stuff yeah. like that. I'm still reading. Uh, I'm in chapter two now of uh, the real Anthony Fauci. It's just, I, I just can't read that stuff very much. It just, it's driving me crazy. But anyway, what I was saying was it's very similar to what's going on in our profession, but it's been going on for a long time. Um, 
you know, we have to individualize care. You need to individualize these sorts of things. Any mass program where you have the California legislature saying that every kid needs to do this before it can do this, or taking away parental rights by saying kids that are over 12 can decide to be vaccinated without parental consent. What is going on with these people? I mean, yes, they're leftists. Yes, they're, they're socialists. Yes, they're, but they're also insane. They want to undermine everything. It's, they're, you know, they want to undermine the things that make a country stable, the family structure, religion. I'm not a religious guy, but I'm all for the religious teachings. The foundation that I got as a young kid growing up in a Jewish household has, has taught me a lot of right and wrong. And a lot of the things that I'm doing, part of the reason I'm doing what I'm doing right now with you is because I feel I have a calling based on the basic 10 commandments. Uh, and and that's missing. It's just it's gone, it's gone missing in the world right now. It is a, it is a time of of to use a bad terminology. I don't know if it's a proper terminology, but it's like the Antichrist is rising. And again, I don't even really know what that means because I'm not religious, but I just it, I, I watch enough, you know, Devil and Lucifer, that kind of movies. Keanu, Keanu Reeves movies where he's a you know, he's the devil or somebody's around the devil, you know. So <laughs> what can I say? Uh, what else would you like to well, add before we go? Um, I don't believe that politics or politicians um, or um, or insurance companies or any of those big conglomerates are going to be the ones that are going to actually change what's happening as a society. I think that we need to dig deep into our... Um, what you were talking about into our own faith and to our connections with other human beings, to our connections with mother earth. Um, and to know that it's all integrated and, um, you know, it's, it's not getting better. All of this legislation and politics, it's not making things better. So, um, I encourage you to look outside of that and to find, you know, what, what is the truth for you? Um, so, and we are under, as I said earlier, we are under siege and you can either sit there under siege until you run out of supplies and die, or you can fight back. And there are many ways to fight back peacefully, but one is to speak out. And to listen and, and, and to, and to make your own decisions. <laughs> That's a way of fighting back, you know, to just say, no, I'm not, I don't consent. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what feels right for me and my family. That is, and that is an act flowing, of stop just flowing with the current because the current is going to might take you over the, a waterfall that you may not survive. You know, the, you know, there are different paths to take and everybody has to make their own path. If some people want to follow the current and go over the waterfall, that's fine. But there are many different adventures to go different ways. And sometimes they're not the easy way to go. Often they're not the easy way to go. The easy way is just to keep your head down and just do what everyone's doing and not and, and, and bury yourself in social media or bury yourself in something on Netflix, uh, some series and stuff, and, and pretend that that's real life. And go to work on Monday and be unhappy. And by Friday, you're happy. And then Monday comes around again and you're just living your life. And, and you're missing out on all the things that 
we are blessed to have because you are letting, you're giving up your autonomy to somebody else. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Bliss, it was great. This, this, uh, we got a lot of information in this one. This is sort of a, an archival podcast. People can go back and, and, and listen to it, share it with your friends. Um, it's important. We believe that this stuff is, needs to happen or the, we're going down a big rabbit hole. Love you. Love you too. We'll talk Bye. to you. See you next week. Bye everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 